This podcast is offered by San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'm smiling because I, I was, while I was on mute, I was going to ask you if you could if you hear me okay, so, which obviously you couldn't. in the the couple of moments I logged on before uh, we started, I I noticed that I was scanning those of you who have your videos on. uh, And and noticing that I had some feeling of reassurance when I could see who I was talking to. It's a very interesting feeling, you know, somewhat vulnerable in that way in which uh, sometimes we just, we need some reassurance. Sometimes it's a blatant feeling for us, and then sometimes it's just something very subtle. So thank you for your lovely faces. Uh, I think part of what it is when I look at practitioners' faces and see the sincerity of their practice and their presence, uh, I find it reassuring. Uh, Not unlike for me, and I I suspect for more than just me, taking refuge. There's something in us that... that, um, searches for reassurance and all sorts of other things too. And we, uh, we take refuge. And often in our taking refuge, that's, that phrase is not in the foreground of our minds. It, it's expressed more through a feeling, an intention, an aspiration, a yearning. So that's what I'd like to try to talk about this morning. Naturally enough, since the practice period is called taking refuge and creating refuge. And I'd like to try to talk about it in the context of uh, formal practice. Since this is a one-day sitting, and I think many of the people who are tuned in to this broadcast are participating in the one-day sitting. But even if you're not, I still think it totally applies. I think most of us are aware of the notion that our whole life is zazen. Every moment of consciousness, every moment of doing and being and engaging is zazen. And still, the formal posture of uprightness and openness and presence has a relevance. 
as a way of um, stimulating what we already are. In some ways, taking refuge, as I was saying a few moments ago, as a very uh, addresses the human condition. Maybe it's a sense of vulnerability or lacking or dissatisfaction that we uh, reach out, we search, we, we open with expectation, we assert with intention. And as we do it, as we take refuge, um, something is received. The more thoroughly we open and give our attention, our presence, the more thoroughly we receive. And, and I, I think of doing zazen, being zazen, in exactly the same um, dynamic, the same interplay, the same exchange. There, there's a phrase in, in Japanese in Buddhism called kanodoko. A translation of that phrase I've seen quite a bit is mystical communion. When I was reading it this morning, I was thinking, you know, I grew up Catholic. And when we were children, actually, you I mean you, you do it your whole life as a Catholic, but I stopped being a Catholic past my childhood and in one way we would call going up to receive the Eucharist. We would call it Holy Communion. And I was thinking, oh, that's not so different from mystical communion. Yeah. How interesting, you know, when you find uh, some deep connection back to something that was part of your childhood. that in a way, our attraction to practice evokes that which in us that already has a, a relationship to practice. And this is a fundamental point in the practice of Zazen. In Zazen, we engage the body, we engage the breath, we engage being to discover how to be body, how to be breath, how to be being. 
this is why we call it practice. And, and this reciprocal relationship, this mystical communion between our effort and what arises. Since we were born, we, we were being body. Since we were born, we were being breath. We were being alive. And yet the very practice of Zazen is to engage that almost as if we didn't know how to be it. We engage it with an intention. We engage in it with a resolve. We engage it with a perseverance that when we stray away and get hooked by whatever arises in our mind and in our hearts that seems compelling to attend to in the moment. And then when we notice it, we include it. Ah, another aspect of being. And we bring it back into being body and being breath. We can think of it as, you know, that aspect of refuge, of returning to original nature. As, as our experiences happen for us, we, um, we include them in being. And in terms of chitta bhavana, cultivation of consciousness, this noticing, acknowledging, and including, it, it helps something within us to settle. When we, when we approach Zazen with some notion of what should happen and what should not happen, um, then we're wrestling with ourselves. You know, who will win? You know, my intention or this um, complicated process of expressing being alive. But when we acknowledge and include, there is um, that struggle is set aside and we're inviting taking refuge. We're inviting returning to basic being. We're inviting to returning to the body that knows how to be body better than our mind does. We're inviting returning to the breath that knows how to breathe the body, that knows how to go through this amazing process of turning air into breath, 
and letting air exhale and turning back into what surrounds us. We're inviting something fundamental in our being that's always unfolding. I remember once I was talking to someone who was a poet and they were saying, oh, my mind is so unruly as Zazen is impossible. And uh, I thought, Oh, but as a poet, you're crafting the capacity to use the mind in creating beauty, in creating appreciation, and in articulation that enhances being. And so I said to the person, I said, how about thinking of mind and what it creates as one lifelong poem that just continues. And, and in that moment, that satisfied me. Maybe it still does, I don't know. But that way of um, taking rev refuge as an expression of appreciation, an expression of befriending what's happening. Can we bring that into the intentionality of paying attention while we sit? And I'd offer you this suggestion, that each period at the beginning, don't assume that that will just automatically pop up. Because the nature of our karma is often, that's what pops up first, you know? whether it's our restlessness or our wish to take charge or our wish to escape from or our wish sometimes it's a subtle kind of resignation they just sit in a half dream the mind just rattling away each time we sit at the beginning can we remind ourselves? Can we remind mind? And can we remind heart? That this is a process of giving ourselves a gift. This is a process of starting to get in touch with something intrinsic in our being. that has a wisdom, that, that has a knowledge of how to thrive. 
the, the more we engage breath and discover the subtleties of what it is to allow the inhale, to allow the pause, to allow the exhale, the, the more we discover the subtleties of that allowing, of, of that experiencing, of that abiding, um, the more we tune into that intrinsic nature within us that has always been body, always been breath, always been being. And as we tune into that, um, we experience um, something like an enrichment, something in the area of a relief. <sighs> a reassurance. And sometimes that's accompanied by a kind of poignant recognition that most of the time we're not offering ourselves that release, that relief, that reassurance. So it's so, so helpful as we're beginning the period of Zazen. Even if it's just an intellectual notion, but hopefully accompanied by some heartfelt involvement. This is an offering. This is an opportunity for opening to a benevolence that supports our human life. And when we can conjure it up in this way, um, it's less of a task. Sitting a period of zazen, sitting all day, is less of a task and more of um, an opportunity of discovering the subtleties of what help a human life to thrive. And as we discover those subtleties, um, we create refuge. Something in us receives and acknowledges the invitation to be. And as we receive it and acknowledge it, um, something in us starts to blossom. And not to say, it's a linear thing. Some, someone asked me a question a couple of days ago, which I thought was terrific. They said, well, what I tend to notice in Zazen is wandering mind, loss of attention, um, persistent distraction. 
it feels more in the realm of failure than acknowledging benevolence. And I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that um, this is the nature of experiential learning. In the class that was accompanying, that is accompanying the practice board, the, the, the notion that came up for me was learning to play the piano to be able to play the piano. Or to put it in simple terms, we play the piano to be able to play the piano. But that playing the piano um, and, and the, the experiential learning that goes, that accompanies it is we discover through our missteps, what the appropriate step is. So each time mind wanders into its karmic notions, each time mind contracts around what causes it pain, each time mind reaches out and tries to grasp what it yearns for. Each time mind gets foggy, uh, as we attend to it, we can learn something about settled mind, about clear mind, about just being rather than desiring something then that's already present. And, and so there's a subtle request there for us in, do we, do we notice and just acknowledge only the distraction? Or when we already notice that the distraction has been replaced by presence. Can we notice, oh, what's happening now is presence. It's the consequence of having been distracted and having returned to presence. There's a very subtle Zen koan, maybe not so subtle. There's a Zen koan where the teacher asks the student, he said, do you separate the grit from the rice or do you separate the rice from the grit? Do you, do you notice the grit of failure or do you notice and acknowledge the rice that nourishes your being? So as we sit, this kind of involvement and discovering it through experiential learning. The concept is helpful. The principle is helpful, but 
discovering how to be it, discovering how when that moment arises, do we acknowledge the grit or do we acknowledge the rice? It's an experiential learning. And in the process of experiential learning, um, we see more clearly the ways in which we tend to deviate. What will you see? You will see the ways in which your mind, your heart, turn towards the grid. You know, if, if that's part of your personality, that will arise. And so the inclusion of awareness includes that. The training, the learning through the experiential learning includes the tendencies of mind that want to say, not enough, getting it wrong, um, making a mistake, failing. And in that process, can we take refuge in just being this too? Can we create the refuge with the acceptance of being? And in a way, the very so-called failures or distractions that arise for us when they're accepted, they're helping us expand and become more versatile in taking refuge. This too is now. This too is present. This too can be accepted and acknowledged. So in, in that process, we are creating a wider uh, version of refuge. And experiential learning is not mediated by our cognitive, our cognition, our cognitive mind. No. So you know, Kano Doko, this mystical, this mysterious uh, communication. It happens in the realm of experience. And being the thinking creatures that we are, um, we are inclined to insist upon it happening within the realm of our thinking. And this is why attending to the body and attending to the breath are, are throughout the Buddhist traditions. The, the meditation process plays great, places great emphasis on attending to the body and attending to the breath. Because 
they're sensate. The, the invited into experiencing with the other senses. You know, in Buddhism, mind is one of the senses. You know, that, that process of thinking and discriminating is just another sense, like seeing and hearing and tasting and touching and smelling. And can we return to the other senses? Can the physicality of being be a touchstone? And there's a way in which, as we attend, we, we can start to uh, become more aware of when mind is intruding and trying to take charge, which it usually does. But in our meditation, as we attend to the body and breath, as we attend to the breath in the body, when we diligently notice the sensation of inhale, how when the different parts of the body that are included and engaged in inhale, the throat, the upper chest, the lower chest, the abdomen, is as we allow something to happen, as we allow air to become breath, as we invite an experience. The teaching for us is profound. Taking refuge has a richness, a depth. As we take refuge in the inhale, or as, as we say in our formal ceremony, immersing body and mind in the way. What is it to allow what's already happening to happen? What is it to flow with it? What is it to allow the heart to beat, the body to breathe? What are the sensate experiences of that allowing? What is it to pause? What is it for just a moment to discover stillness? To let something find its ease, its rest. And then what is it to let it go? To let it resume its flow and its natural uh, fading away to exhale like a sigh. And as we continue this practice, the discovery continues. And, and as we um, 
as, as I was just saying a few moments ago, as we attend to the complexity that our mind creates and our heart, the feelings, the memories, the yearnings, the anxieties, the disappointments, the intrigues, the dramas. Can each of them be invited into the simplicity of body breath? And this all-inclusive quality in Zen is called big mind. Usually our mind is thoroughly engaged in the complexities of our condition to be. And which is fed by and stimulated by what we want to have happen and what we want to stop happening. And the struggle between the two. And as we can invite that into awareness, as we can take refuge that includes that, we, we discover um, that being in the middle of that, almost paradoxically, starts to show us liberation. It starts to show us the, um, the disposition of non-grasping and non-aversion. As we included and accepted. And, and as, we, as we engage in that way, we discover um, a more spacious being than our or the mind that's just conditioned and defined by our karmic tendencies. And in some ways we could say, uh, as we glimpse big mind, as we taste it, you know, as, as we just feel the disposition of that spacious mind, We're learning, we're discovering a more thorough taking refuge. And as we discover a more thorough taking refuge, we're also inviting in creating refuge. We're discovering a way of being that has a versatility, has a uh, adaptability. You know, the phrase that Suzuki Roshi famously translated as beginner's mind. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. I, I suspect almost all of us who are listening to this 
skunk know that phrase because it's just uh, so powerfully clear. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. The, the word hindrance in, in, uh, in Sanskrit, uh, it's like, I, I read one translator who said, one way to understand what it's proposing is it's like being walled in, you know? We're walled in to a limited way of being. That's what a hindrance is. We're being hindered from greater being, wider being, more open being, more versatile being, more adaptable, more creative. And, and so in our zazen, are we imposing some walls? Are we trying to assert some fixed way of being? Mind should be like this. Attention should be like this. What would it be to sit with that wonderful Zen notion of don't know? Don't know what is going to arise. Don't know who you are. Watch what arises, and it'll teach you who you are. Taking refuge in this greater being. Take, uh, calling forth the big mind that facilitates the refuge, that facilitates the beginner's mind. And then letting it move from the formal structure of body and breath and move into uh, the activities of our life. Which activities do we get drawn towards and engage enthusiastically? Which activities do we procrastinate about? Oh yes, I should do that tomorrow. But today, I'll browse the internet or whatever, whatever seems to be uh, an appropriate substitute. Is that a failure? Is browsing the internet a failure? Are you in trying to include that part of yourself or are you trying to exclude it? As, as you notice and acknowledge, does something in you tighten? Does something in you soften with compassion and patience? With big mind, the activity of life becomes an inquiry. In Zen terms, it becomes a koan. What is the koan 
of appropriate response when you notice the impulse to, I'll just browse the internet. Surely in the vastness of that, there's something absolutely wonderful. Much more attractive and appealing than washing the dishes or whatever it is, the utility of your life or the function of your life is presenting. And can we, uh, can we take refuge in the whole process? This is the Bodhisattva way. Delusions are inexhaustible. Mind is mind. Mind will stay busy creating its exquisite lifelong poem. Stanza after stanza. Maybe someday we'll have a gadget that can uh, transcribe our thoughts and doesn't. And we can read them with awe later. Look at that. How did I jump from that to that and back to that in three seconds? Mind is amazing. Big mind just holds it. Ah, so it is. Immersing body and mind deeply in the way. Awakening true mind. True mind in which there's no untrue mind. And, and as we do that, um, the, the, the benevolence that that creates, we trust it. That limited way, we, we, we demand something of ourselves. I should never be thinking in Zazen. I should be absolutely, resolutely attentive to every minute detail of sensation that arises. When we can see that, when we can deeply appreciate its sincerity, then we can also let it go. We're creating a trustworthy process. Something in us relaxes. <sighs> Maybe this process that somehow I've gotten into called Zen 
maybe indeed it can be a friend rather than a nagging uh, demand for me to be perfect. Maybe there's something in it that can nurture this life. And through that nurturing, I can meet others. I can engage them. I can offer them the same patience, acceptance, and appreciation that I'm trying to offer myself. Maybe it can open the door to a benevolence that the whole planet and every, every being in it is thirsting for. Maybe it can invite us all to hold in a tender way the dilemmas and uh, conflictions that are going on around us. What is Putin going to do next? I wonder if even Putin knows. <laughs> This is our life. This is our world. Beings are numberless. I vow to practice with them, to take refuge in the engagement with them, to include everyone and every being in this creation of refuge. Maybe it's utterly foolish to say that out loud. Or maybe it, uh, it speaks to something within us. Tagore said, in, in a poetic way, which I can't remember, but the, here's the gist of it. He said, I was caught in the dilemma. Should I live a life of joy or a life of service? And then in engaging the opening to greater being discovered that both were there, the joy and the service. Taking refuge, creating refuge. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we all fully enjoy the Dharma.